Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Dave Ramsey. Wait a second. Which one am I? I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going, Dave? Doing good, Joe. How are you doing? Pretty good. I forgot which role I was supposed to play. Uh, so I, uh, I, I got a demo in the mail yeah. this morning. Yeah. New Hot new VR game. Joe's Super Bowling. Super, bo- bo- Super Bowling. Bowling Super. Land Extreme? Mm, right now I'm calling it Radical Bowling. Mm, there you go. Keeping the theming in line with Radical App Dev, Joe's consultancy. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if that will ever be a product name. It sounds kind of a stupid product name, but it's an easy cop-out for a project name and... Uh, a friend of mine suggested that I immediately stop calling it stupid bowling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a tendency to pick, like, when I don't know what the name of something is going to be, I pick really weird and somewhat simple names. So I would, probably would have called it, like, Bowlerator 1.0. Yeah. And that guarantees that I'm eventually going to have to rename it. Yeah. Temporary bowling app name. <laughs> But yeah, mainly I just want, I always give something a simple project name so I can have a simple project abbreviation because I use that in my task and time management systems and just like that that little abbreviation like RB is just an indicator for a ton of different systems of like folders and Todoist and my you know, time tracking stuff and emails stuff like that. It's just an easy way for me to like tag everything in one source. As so long even as you after, don't... Go ahead. even even if the even if I were to make this into a product someday, I think that would, abbreviation would always stay as RB or for radical bowling, even if it was called like Super Duper Space Bowling twenty eighteen or whatever. I've been in too many discussions where RB means real basic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but yeah, um, so I was playing with it. I scored really, really badly. It, yeah. It turns out that I'm not very good at VR bowling. Um, there is an advantage to having a 12 or 15 pound ball on the end of your arm and getting it to kind of swing straight. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, I'm really good at going off the sides. Um, I like the uh, the um, uh, gutterless lanes. Mm-hmm. That just the gutter is just kind of this large plane, and the ball touching there dies. Is there a thing that makes the ball um, begin to disintegrate when it has a serious impact? No, it uh, it only disintegrates when it hits the arena floor. Currently, okay. So if I start bowling overhand, a I'm apparently much better at bowling overhand. Not that yeah. I would ever try with a 15-pound ball. Um, but if I hit the floor of the lane hard enough, the ball begins to disintegrate. Yeah, I think the, I think the collider is just too... Yeah, I, I, I've noticed that a couple of times, too. I can get it... To, I, I can't really make it happen on purpose unless I really, really try, but I've seen that two or three times. Um, I think the lane is just too close to the floor of the arena... And I'm not sure if I would like everything in this version of the app is placeholder demo yeah. stuff. So 
yeah. didn't spend too much time fixing bugs. Like you'll notice. So I guess let me, let's back up. I sent you a build from two days ago. I actually built it today, but that's the version of the app from two days ago. I haven't made any changes since then. Um, but that is the version that I showed off at the Central Ohio Game Dev Group this weekend. And I got a bunch of people to play. So I wanted to send you the same version before I started mm -hmm. making improvements um, to it. But uh, there's lots of like quirky, buggy stuff in there. Like the when I respawn the pins, I tried really hard to remove all of their velocity before I respawn them or reposition them. But some of them still have a little bit of motion going on mm -hmm. when they reappear. So they just like the pins get set up and they just fall over. Like <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. But you and you actually get points for that, which yeah. is even worse. Um, and I wasn't sure if it was a bug or a feature. Like, it could have been a thing specifically there to keep me from doing baseball throws at the pins at the end of the lane. No, it's not a bad idea, but no. <laughs> I mean, I could just put a collider, like, you know, towards the, uh, you know, kind of blocking the lane in front of the user, in front of the player, like, from, like, waist height up. Like, you have to release the ball underhand. I could make that same like ball fizzling out effect. Yeah. Um, let's see. I your game also helped me finally diagnose that one of my lighthouses is busted. Oh no! Um, That's uh, two out of three now. But yeah. Um. So yeah, luckily I have a spare, so I'll be swapping that in when I have an opportunity. But there wasn't time this morning. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of funky because the lighthouse lights up and everything looks fine and it responds in Steam and Steam VR sees it and everything's okay. And if that's the only lighthouse that can see you, your controllers just start kind of drifting off into space. Mm -hmm. And then they disappear because nice. they're not anywhere in the known play space. So thanks for helping me diagnose that. Uh, Happy to be of service. Yeah. So what's the logic, like how long do the lanes hang around as they start moving around? Currently, it's kind of, um, it's sped up really fast. So okay. what's, what's controlling like the wave-based demo right now, the entire demo lasts 2 minutes and 30 seconds. You start off with like 35 seconds to just bowl on a regular lane and get used to how things work. And then other events start taking place. So the re there are really just five lanes laid out next to each other in the scene. And then most of them are disabled on start. And then there's a timeline asset that just starts playing when you start the app that, you know, at like two minutes and 35 seconds, it enables, it disables the first lane and enables another one. And then it does a switcheroo. And I think they go for six seconds each for a while. And then maybe some of them are 12 seconds. And then the end, you have like 45 seconds, something like that. Okay. Um, it's all way faster than I would ever actually put in a product. It was just something I wanted to yeah. Keep it really short because I wanted lots of people to try the demo. Um, just be able to communicate the idea of waves. And I don't, I don't even know if I would necessarily do individual lanes in the wave-based format, but that was the easiest way for me to express the concept in a, you know, a short presentation. So. Yeah. <clears throat> I found a number of times, like probably that six-second part is really short. Yeah, it's way too short. There were a you number basically of... basically bowl two balls and the second one will the lane will disappear before the second one gets down there. Well, I got better accuracy 
when I was bowling slower. But if I was like if I was if I was not trying to throw the balls as hard, but if I was throwing them with like shorter throws, I could throw more balls faster. So mm-hmm. I'd have six balls slowly moving down the lane, and then the whole lane would disappear before any of them got there. Yeah, and currently there's no advantage to doing that because the way that I have it set up right now, there's a collider around the pin manager at the end of each lane. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it detects one ball passing through, it starts a three-second coroutine that counts the score, disables all the balls, and repositions them and re-enables them. So if you you throw multiple balls down at the same time, you're you're just wasting your energy. It's still fun, but... uh, you didn't tell me that. I didn't tell anybody that. <laughs> Joe's the only guy who can score high scores, and he's throwing the balls really slowly. No, and everything's no. good, clean planning. No. How, so what? What score did you get today? When I started throwing overhand, I got to two fifty one. Okay, that's pretty good. I think my my max is around two sixty or something. Most people got around one hundred and fifty to two hundred range. One guy on Saturday got 513. I know. <laughs> and he was just talking the whole time, too. He just, God. like, flinging balls down the, down the lanes. Like, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely something there. And there is, like, as you suggested you only have scratched the very surface of what you can do with changing up the game as it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you've got a lot of cool ideas about that kind of stuff. So yeah, the bowling game that dynamically changes as you're playing it. Bowling is a, is a nearly universal mechanism. Um, yeah. The only thing stopping it from being completely universal is apparently some people have never bowled. Yeah, um, weird when is. my mother got a Wii for Christmas one year, my aunt and uncle were in town, and I was, I was playing technology facilitator and walking people through how to get started with the Wii, and I said, "Look, this is a bowling game. Well, you're just going to swing your arm like you're bowling, and at the end of the at the end of the swing, you release." And he looks at me and he goes, "I've never bowled before." What? <laughs> you're like. 62. How did you had never bowl before? But apparently you just never bowled. Wow. So yeah, so there are apparently those people. So you're going to have to settle for 99% of the market rather than the full 100. Yeah. So what did you think of the visuals in it so far? Um, Visuals. I liked the disintegrating ball. Okay. It was mm-hmm. not clear initially if the ball was shrinking or sinking it's it's currently shrinking yeah um just because that was a cheap cop out but there's a uh, particle emitter um or a particle asset based on the flare prefab from like the unity particle effects assets i just changed the colors and made it smaller and then that was like an okay effect on the ball itself, but it looked kind of stupid with the ball just sitting there. So I just made it shrink over the course of a second too. Yeah. No, it, it, it doesn't have to be clear exactly how the ball is going away. And in my head, I started making my own like head cannon for no, it's this weird, like grinding surface that just, Mm -hmm. 
It'd be really cool if you could like spindleize the ball so that he really was grinding along that axis. It's, that's not the part that adds fun. Yeah. Um, so that's that's version you know one point one. And I thought like. I haven't figured out the premise for the arena floor yet. Maybe it's lava. Maybe it's just something <laughs> untouchable. I don't know. I can't figure out if you're in the arena to bowl for your life or to bowl for your country or or what yet. I haven't decided. Like there may be maybe like a synth wave cyber Roman emperor mm-hmm. on the way. <clears throat> the music worked pretty well with the scene. Uh, I could have used the scoreboard being more visible to me. Okay. It it would have helped with the impression that it's all tied together. Because Mm -hmm. basically, while I'm focused on bowling, the scoreboard is entirely out of my field of view. Yeah. um, By a significant margin. And so I basically stopped. Okay. Um, If I'm supposed to be playing for score then I would like to see the scoreboard a little bit more obviously. Like, it, it's an arena thing. I'd expect a scoreboard that is usable. Yeah. Um, There's a, a lot of notes I took yesterday about how I'm going to do scorekeeping or how I could do scorekeeping. Um, currently, and this is just a kludgy workaround, but currently... Like I said, the ball passes through a, a trigger collider on the pin manager for that specific lane. That starts the co-routine for, I think, like three seconds after the ball collides. The co-routine will check each pin to see if it was standing upright and associate a, a point with each one that's not. And then if you got all 10 of them at the end of that loop, um, it'll double the points because you got a strike. But you can't actually... Like bowl for a spare at this point. Right. Um, I had that working a little bit on Friday, and it was just like you know this is kind of an unnecessary level of complexity. Like this is <laughs> like there's there's nothing else re- that realistic about this. Why why stick with the same scoring? <laughs> <laughs> so I like one ball, one frame, um, but there's no frame counting yet. So I need to figure out that as well because that would be really interesting. Like yes, I I had. A timer of you know five minutes to bowl my heart out, but I, you know, and I got seven hundred points. But how many points could I have gotten? Like, there's nothing to tell you that yet. Right. Um, and I also thought about, you know, there are ways to do it like timing based. Or like, you've got three minutes per wave. Um, some of them more of a scripted approach, or so like using timeline to script, in the you know the cinematic use of the word script um various events throughout the course of the game or and these are all like none of these are mutually mutually exclusive there would just be different mm-hmm. modes of the game i think um i like the idea of rather than the lanes moving around and you bowling towards them every time you spawn a ball that's when the lane and the pins appear so whenever you don't have a ball, like one ball, there's always one lane, but it's always, you know, maybe moving around on you. <laughs> that actually would help to enforce the concept that you get one ball, one per, ball per, per lane. Yeah. So, yeah, I've done a lot of fun stuff with it. Um, one, like, I, 
my presentation was where the meeting was at one on Saturday at COG. I think I was the third one to present towards the end, so it was closer to two. Um, but I was still making changes on this at like 1145 because uh-huh. I'm that guy. Mm-hmm. Like all the stuff from Timeline was added in that morning, like maybe from like 1030 to 1130. Like I never even used Timeline until that point. When I was presenting the clown game, I made modifications while we were sitting in the room waiting for the meeting to start. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, you can't really help it. I like the fact that Unity works that way. Like there are mm-hmm. things that you can do to improve your game in 10 minutes. Yeah. So one of the things I did that morning just to test out if it would be fun is I I added a lane, disabled all the other lanes, I added a lane that would use a sine wave on a 45 degree angle to just rotate back and forth off of its pivot point. But I first punched in the uh, the wrong axis on the uh, rotation. So I, you know, I, I add that function to the script. I hit save, I go hit play, I pop the headset on and the lane just pops up in front of me and dumps all the pins on me and then just <laughs> flaps around. <laughs> It was freaking awesome. <laughs> That's an entirely different game, Joe. Like, you can use that. It's cool and all. But... Yeah. Joe's Inception Bowling. Um, yeah, I haven't, and I haven't even, like, experimented with alternate game mechanics yet. I, I really want to do, like, my version of the uh, the Catapult game from the lab, but with, like, stacks of pins that you're aiming for. I think that could be quite fun. I don't know if that's this project or something else, but yeah. I, I could reuse these assets for another demo. So you can do with this as you will, but in my head, the cons... I mean, you, you were saying we didn't need to do two bowl, two balls per frame because nothing else is realistic. Why should that? And there's still a thing in my head that says that that's a critical element of the concept of bowling. It's like balls, pins, two balls per frame. Yeah, Um, if I go, if I do it based on spawning the balls, it's still easy to do the same concept of like every other ball, a frame or a a lane gets moved around and the pins spawn. So removing, I think mainly what I was trying to communicate is I want to get the logic mm-hmm. of scorekeeping off of the lane, of the pin manager. I don't think it should be. There. Okay. It should be based on the user creating balls. Um, one thing that everybody does the first time they put on the headset with the current version is realize that they can make balls and then just make tons and tons and tons of balls. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is kind of fun. Which is why I added the the entire, like touch the arena floor and they go away thing because I was doing that and I was sick of having 60 balls in the scene. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. So the, the grab a ball, make a lane is interesting. I also like then, so you, you pop up five lanes and they all kind of got a timer. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the idea of making the timer for each lane visible like yeah. up, just above the pins. Mm-hmm. And so you can see that they're all counting down. And so you got to like get systematic about throwing one ball down each lane, then throwing a second ball down each lane. If you throw two at once, you, either your balls collide 
mm-hmm. or you're oversetting the thing. And so, like, trying to, okay, now there's eight lanes. Because I, I don't know if there's anybody who's ever walked into a, an empty bowling alley and not wanted to throw a ball, one ball, down every single one of the lanes. Yeah. There's there's some interesting ideas I've had with, the, with timing the lanes. Um, obviously, there's, like, putting a counter or, like, a donut timer above yep. each lane to show that it's running out. Another one that gets rid of UI but still shows the fact that you're on a timer. I... Uh, I did this on Thursday night, I think. I doubled the length of the lanes, kept the pins spawning in the middle or where they are now, but I added... Um, so I, this was basically off the idea of wave-based bowling. I, I first made the pins move towards the player, and if they got close, then you would lose points, but that actually made it easier. Now the pins are really easy to knock over. Mm-hmm. So I made the pins run away from the player. So you have <laughs> until the pins get to the end of the lane and fall onto the floor, you have until that period of time to bowl them over. But And that's a really cool idea, I think. But with my current setup with the, the collider and the, uh, the way that the trigger calls the coroutine to respawn the pins, what was happening is... I would start a frame, I would chuck the ball down the lane, it would cha- it would the pins would start up right away. They would start moving towards the outer edge of the arena. The ball would hit the collider, the pins would spawn behind the ball and start chasing the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so that was just mean. <laughs> that can't touch me bowling. Oh, all these happy little bonuses. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, so you go with the uh Penn and Teller's desert bus scenario. <laughs> yeah. The whole objective is to knock down one pin. <laughs> There's pins all over the place, flying around, running towards you, running away, ducking, jumping out of the way. <laughs> if you can knock down a pin, you get a point. Go. Yeah. And I haven't even gotten to bowling in a tube yet. I mentioned bowling in a tube during the presentation, and people really like that idea. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, if you don't do bowling in a tube, I'm doing bowling in a tube. There's, okay. And we'll just be competitive bowling game developers. W- would you like to hire a freelance Unity developer <laughs> to make bowling in a tube? Yeah, but then it'll be my bowling in a tube. And you're kind of okay in, with that. In partnership with Radical Application Development. <laughs> anyway, so... I did a presentation on Saturday at COG, um, and that's like the first one of those I've ever done. I think the only other presentation of any type I've ever done was a cough mug meeting with like eight people at it five years ago. So in my professional career, I've never actually done a presentation in front of a group of people expecting a presentation, and like I've never even made a slide before until this weekend um wow yeah so it's like kind of like making it up as i went along and it went pretty well i you know i just wanted a small number of slides to have some basic info on the screen while i was talking and then uh had you know three slides at the beginning then the demo and then a couple more slides at the end just to tell people where to get a hold of me and then i had an unsuspecting volunteer from the audience who was actually a pretty good bowler. Um, <laughs> yeah. She did really well. And then uh, just so, lots of questions. So she afterwards. didn't have any idea what she was going to be doing? Nope, not whatsoever. When the, when the world was created, it was like, oh, bowling balls, go. 
In fact, she she patiently stood in the Steam VR compositor for like a minute and a half as I got things set up. <laughs> cool. So you you videotaped that presentation, mm-hmm. and I watched the videotape. I think later that night, much later that night, because I was out of town. And Joe, you're a great presenter. Well, thank you. Like as long as you've got a little bit of. Uh, of uh, electrical assistance for amplification, you're yeah. fine. Um, it was funny. It kept moving. There was stuff going on. And even if, like, you knew the subject matter, like, this was your thing. It's one of the things that I've usually found is helpful when you've got somebody making a presentation is if they know what they're talking about down pat. Mm-hmm. Not the words, but all the concepts and things. Like, you made this. You know every square inch of this thing, like the back of your hand at this stage. And so it makes it very easy to to talk to people. But there was no, there was no obvious uh, um, stage fright. Mm-hmm. You got up, you did your thing, you talked, you showed the demo, you made funny arm motions, you got yeah. a number of really good solid laughs out of the audience. Um, and it's a, it's a sizable audience. Yeah. At one point you mentioned the arm motions. I don't make those arm motions when I talk. And at one point I almost said out loud, why am I doing this with my arms? I don't do this. With my arms. <laughs> <laughs> like I have no idea why I'm doing this. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, I was surprised. I was surprised how nervous I wasn't when I actually got up there. Like I was a little bit nervous before, but then I was just kind of excited to show off what I've been working on. Mm-hmm. So if it was a, a group of strangers, I think it would have been more difficult, but I've been going to this group for what, 14 months now. So mm-hmm. I kind of know most of the people there. And you've seen three dozen, two dozen, three dozen demos. Mm-hmm. Of various people's things, so you know where people are going to find enjoyment and what the general attitude of the group is, and that they're not an exceptionally critical, oh my god, your game isn't ready for release, I'm disappointed Yeah, kind of audience. Like They like seeing cool new tech stuff. They like seeing a good VR demo. They like learning something. So if you can tell them something they didn't know before, or show them a side of the development... like I don't think anybody's ever done... The slide that you did that had the total number of hours on various aspects of the project. Yeah. That was that was great. Like people have asked, like, how long have you spent on this? You had a perfect slide that was not only I spent this many total hours getting to this point, but I spent this on development, this on audio, this on modeling and you know, that kind of thing, and just breaking all that down, and it was mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah, and I also had it on there that it was two weeks of calendar time. Because um, whenever somebody asks that question, their answer always, I always find their answer wanting. I'm like, yo, it took me six months. I'm like, but that doesn't actually tell me anything. Were you working on it full time or three hours a week on Saturday? Like, So I wanted to get both of those numbers across. So like, this is a two week project with 59 hours of clock time. So yeah. Uh, Like I said, it went pretty well. It went surprisingly well. Um, Something I found out about myself, I guess two things I found out about myself that I didn't know, especially like considering my like antisocial background, I really liked presenting. Like that was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
And then uh, after the presentation, I got to do one-on-one -on -one demos with over 20 people, which was freaking awesome. Yeah, you crushed me. I got like four. So I was there until I think about 4.45 doing demos. And uh, yeah, it was pretty great. The only reason I left because I was actually meeting some other friends to go bowling. <laughs> Which didn't actually happen. We went to the bowling alley and they had like a four hour wait. So. Oh, geez. Some other time. It was a Saturday night. So. Yeah. It was like a, a trendy bowling alley downtown. Which I didn't even know was a thing. So you got good demos. Did you get any code reviews? Didn't get a code review. Uh, although I've been working at the Sandbox a lot. And uh, James at the Sandbox has been helping me answer, answering questions and just kind of giving me pointers um, about Unity. But I haven't done a full code review yet. I might reach out to some people on Twitter this week um, and see about, you know, there's a couple of Unity developers and business owners that I know that have a lot more experience and see if they might want to do you know, half hour code review remotely just to give me some, some pointers. Uh, I will say that I, I will post a link to the presentation on YouTube. I put that up this morning and I'll post a link to that in the show notes. If anybody wants to watch it, please watch it and please share it. I'm kind of proud of that. So, you know, share it on Twitter or what other social media people use. So, I guess before we leave this topic, do you have any questions, like technically how I did anything? I didn't prepare a lot for this episode. I've been working on my website all morning. Oh wait, there's an, there's an announcement. My website's kind of up and running. Like it's a thing you can go to. It's, a, it's definitely a work in progress, but it has some content and I've been uh, backfilling it with some of the screenshots and videos from the development process for this bowling demo. If you're interested in checking any of those out. I am looking at it right now. Fun. See, so yeah, did you have? A, I, I guess one thing, like technically, um, I I really like coroutines. <laughs> yeah. Mm hmm. They're freaking great. Um, like there were just areas where, I, like, I know I could do this in update, but. In future versions of this, I want to have many, many, many hundreds of pins, so I don't want to do this in update. And there were things I was able to do in more of a centralized fashion with a combination of coroutines and event callbacks or listeners, depending on which events I was using. I kind of went back and forth between Unity events and C-sharp events, and they both have their pros and cons. Um, but yeah, coroutines are fantastic. They're great for just deferring something for a couple of seconds, but they're also great for like, I need to do this thing over, like it can start now and finish when it's done, but it doesn't need to happen every frame. Like it can do that start and stop thing that coroutines can do, mm -hmm. which is just such an awesome concept. And then uh, the, I think the biggest like kludgy just need to pound on the laptop till it works thing was um, the game manager right now that collects the points. So this is all wrong, basically. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me just preface that. No one should ever structure a game like this. But currently the pins detect, the pins check themselves um, on any kind of collision, whether they collide with another pin or a ball or anything besides the floor. 
they check themselves and say, have I fallen over? And they do that just by checking a range on the up axis. And then if they, if they do detect that they've fallen over, they just disable themselves. So I'm not, re I'm not deleting any pins or respawning any pins at any point in the game after startup. At the beginning of the game, all the pins that are going to exist in that game exist. They're just all disabled. And each pin manager has exactly 10 pins that it manages, although they're not child objects because that caused another problem. Um, <laughs> now the, the scorekeeping is at the pin manager level. Each lane has its own independent pin manager and it will create the 10 pins for its lane on startup. It will position them. Um, anytime there is a ball come down the collider and trigger the event, it will loop through the 10 positions that it manages and then loop through the 10 pins. It's actually one loop, not two, like not, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's doing one loop and doing two things with the data at the same time, it's a for loop. Um, it will, it uh, loops through the positions, it loops through the pins, it removes any rigid body velocity from the pins, or it tries to, it seems to fail sometimes. It checks them quickly to see if they're standing, which I need to just make that an event callback so that the pins can send that event to the game manager, rather than uh, having it check on both ends, because I was just lazy. And then it re-enables them it, it positions them and then re-enables them hilariously though it took me far longer than i cared to admit to figure out that i need to remove the velocity and rotate them before i put them back in position <laughs> because what i was doing was putting them all in position and then rotating them and then enabling them and they would all smack each other while they were rotating and just fly apart like an explosion of pins so you know not ideal there's just, definitely an order. Go ahead. There's definitely an order you have to do these things, like rotate them back the the way that they should be standing up, and then put them where they belong. So you're zeroing out the velocity on the pins. Are you mm -hmm. zeroing out the angular velocity? I don't remember. Okay. If you are not, that's probably your other piece. Okay. I, I was just looking online, and and there's some people talking about basically that issue, and you can. Because you've got gravity on them, a little bit of angular velocity will make them fall over and start moving. And mm. it's not because they have lateral velocity, it's because they're twisting. Yeah. And that's making them fall over. Um, so, so do I need to stop? Do I need to remove both velocity and angular velocity, do you think? Yes. Or is it one or the other? Both. It's both. Okay. both. Because if you, if you get the angular velocity but not the normal velocity you can stand the pin up and then it will start sliding sideways as soon as it goes so you need it to not slide but also not fall over yeah <clears throat> so if you're missing the angular velocity that's almost certainly everything that you've got i was checking okay. to see if there was any way like you apply forces to objects I didn't know if you needed to zero out the force, and it's not so much the force itself that you have to zero out, but the velocity and the angular velocity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was, so there was another issue I ran into the, with the pins, or I shouldn't say I ran into, another issue I created with the pins, <laughs> because I created the pins, and uh, I was too lazy to open Maya or Blender, so I just made the pins in Pro Builder. 
which is an awesome tool for level design and not that good of a tool for doing finely detailed work. So the pins aren't exactly flat on the bottom. They're pretty close, but they're not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so having a mesh collider on them, um, sometimes they would fall over when they respawn. And having a capsule collider on them was hitting the floor trigger. So this is just gross, but it totally worked. So what I did was take, all the pins have a capsule collider, but I, I offset the capsule collider and just made it a little bit smaller and moved it up. And then I put a, um, a cube collider at the very base of it. So each pin has a small cube that sits completely flat with the floor. That's just a little bit past where the mesh is. And it's just, you know, the corners of it just barely hang outside of the circle on the bottom of the pins. And it was one of those things like, I know what the issue is. This is the quickest way to fix it. I'll fix it the real way by making real pins later or getting real pins later. But this was a, you know, a 30 second fix. And it was sure. just kind of a funny. <laughs> so as you were talking about, I modeled the pins, but they weren't exactly flat on the bottom. My head immediately started doing irregular pin shapes. Mm -hmm. and then allowing the users to design their own pins and then bowl with them. Yeah. And then it went to fantastical pins, like giraffe-shaped pins. Just bowling. And now I'm back to bowling safari. Yeah. Well, I think there might be a cat bowling ball with cat pins at some point. <laughs> or, with uh, placeholder Paul. Or what are, the, what are those Russian dolls, the Mat Matroska dolls? Mm -hmm. Every pin... Rather than getting knocked out of the game, it just spawns another smaller pin. So they may be like, you know, five layers deep. So each frame has 50 pins instead of 10. So in a lot of games, that's a lot the way they'll manifest hit points. So the pins have hit points before you can knock them down. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to beat up the outer pins but until the pin like the pins are stationary until their hit points go and then they mm -hmm. knock over and you can get to the ones behind them mm -hmm. wow yeah now i want the bowling ball bazooka yeah that was fun too i got a so good it, laugh line too yeah so something else that i i another issue that i caused with my clever collider magic um i think i did this about a week ago even before the last episode of VR Hermits, I, when I was adding the slippery effect to the lane, you can add a physics material to a collider, where it affects the entire collider. So I made two colliders for the lane. One is a mesh collider that doesn't let anything fall through. And the other one, I made a boxed collider for the front half of the lane to do the slippery physics material and got a really cool, that's where I had that really cool slippery thing, but then the ball would start rolling. But that actually caused a number of issues elsewhere in the game when I was using collision checking to do things like adjust the pitch for a rolling ball or um, as the ball was doing collision checks. Basically, if the, the ball would hit the lane, start the collide, you know, hit the uh, on collision enter thing and then use the on collision exit thing when it reached the end of the slippery thing, which makes total sense. The other think the other difference though the on collision stay um method which runs every frame that the collision is happening 
I'm still colliding with something, but I'm colliding with a different something. So it's a different event. It's a different instance of that event happening. So I can't just carry the the logic over from one to the other. So it was just, I don't know how to handle it yet, um, but for the time being, I just got rid of the, the two colliders on the lane and just, just did one slippery collider and kind of reduced the slipperiness just a little bit to make it not entirely slide all the way down to the end of the lane. I wish I could provide some guidance there because you're already way ahead of anything I know how to do with those colliders. Yeah, I think what I might do I'm not sure if I can actually script a physics collider or a, a physics material because they're not actually instantiated in the game. They're a, a game asset that you drag into just like a material. So I'm not sure if I can actually script them during runtime, but if I can, I may be able to just reduce the slipperiness after a certain point in the lane. Um, so I need to look into that. Yeah, physics. The physics stuff is probably the most fun to play with because you're throwing stuff, so you get to see <laughs> your effects. When you're when you're taking physical action in VR, and it moves approximately the way you expect a real object to move, it's very very satisfying. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of why I like the bow based games more than gun based games. Yeah. Um, it's just that pulling the trigger on the thing to fire the gun, it works and it's much more visceral than any of the old controller based games or anything like that. But when, it, it, when you're playing with a physical object and it acts like the physical object should, it deepens the immersion, the sense of a virtual reality. Yeah, I was doing so. I was doing most of the work at the co-working place last week, and at one point, somebody walked by and saw me making a weird motion, and they walked up and said, "What could you possibly be doing that requires that motion?" <laughs> like uh, bowling. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's just seeing a completely contextless person standing there with these weird, short underarm motions mm -hmm. or underhand. Yeah. Like... <laughs> and, you know, everybody else is sitting around on laptops making websites and having conference calls, and I'm standing in the corner bowling. <laughs> and not disturbing anybody. Nope. Anyway, I think that's that's most of what I can think of right now, unless you have any other questions. Uh, not off the top of my head. I would like to say that uh, if you are a listener of this podcast, once Joe releases the video of his presentation, you absolutely should catch the video. It's a, it's a relatively short presentation, but it's got a lot of good, fun stuff in it. And Joe killed. So. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. So what what has been going on with you? Uh, as far as core game development goes, my big progress in the last week was finally finishing revising the rules for my board game and getting oh, cool. those submitted. So that's the next step there. Nice. Hopefully next we're getting into contracts and things to actually get that published. So we'll see. 
Um, but it had to move forward, and I kept putting that off because I kept being in, involved in other things. Mm-hmm. It would be almost kind of nice to go back to a point in my life where I only had one interest in the entire world. <laughs> and, like, no friends. That was... I mean, it was hey. really easy to schedule my time back then. Like, yeah. I'm just going to do this thing that I do all the time, every day, always. That's, um, that's, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. So. Yeah. This week, the... Uh, actually, I'm going to... Be, I guess before we go off... Um, I am going to attend a VR meetup tomorrow, which is a thing apparently okay there's a virtual reality meetup in columbus at the idea foundry um so if you want to come please do that's both for dave and for the audience if anyone's in the columbus area it's, it's uh i think it's at 6 30 tomorrow that's the columbus idea foundry and i don't think it's a developer centric meeting i think it's a virtual reality um like enthusiast meeting but i'm going to go there and take a headset with me and do some demos if anybody's interested and then i'll also be at prototype and play on Friday at the Columbus Idea Foundry showing off this demo to the general public. Okay. So, I think I'd like like to try and hit that VR meetup tomorrow, so we'll chat once we get offline. Cool. Uh, so yeah. you were saying board game. Board so you game. were talking about um, having only one interest. And uh, yeah, you're publishing a board game. You've got a a commercially successful development analysis tool. You're working in virtual virtual reality. You're making a podcast. And uh, oh yeah, you're a huge nerd. So yes, and games yes. and stuff. Um. So anyway, as part of the uh, discussion, what was originally going to be last week. And then we talked about Ready Player One for a really long time instead. I was looking into the uh, announcements that in the forthcoming versions of Unity that they're going to have a new scripting engine. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, they are upgrading the scripting engine to C Sharp 6.0. So if you're using a current, a relatively current up-to-date version, say through the end of 2017, um, a version of Unity, you're working in C Sharp 4.0. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be moving it up to 6. Uh, I was trying to find good summaries of where the differences are. And some of those are a little thin. Um, but C Sharp 5.0 added a async await set of operators. Not so much operators is way functions and ways to use functions so a whole extra set of ways to do things asynchronously Mm -hmm. Uh, basically send out a command particularly for web services and things if you want to ask a web service for an answer and then do something when the answer comes back they have a whole new model for that as of uh, 5.0 and then in 6.0 there's a bunch of smaller things there's um uh null conditional operators that are kind of like the swift um optional unwrap okay it's the i've got a value and if that value is not null then i want to grab a sub value and if that thing is not null then i want to grab a sub value from that 
And so instead of having to wrap it up in a huge stack of conditionals, it's just like, you know, um, uh, position question mark dot uh, location question mark dot X. So it's kind of like an expanded ternary, ternary, I can't say that word. Ternary? Ternary, ternary operator? Um, Quattery operator? Not so much because it's for accessors. Okay. So it's the, I've got a complex, a deep object structure or a deep class structure. And I need to get from like point A to point B to point C to point D, but only if the path is complete. And so you'll bump into problems if I say, yeah, that thing that I've got, give me dot Mm, position of that. And the thing that I've got is a null. C sharp will throw a fit. Because you're asking for the position of null. And it's like, don't have that. Don't know what you want to do. crash So give me one of these if you have one of these. And give me one of its one of those if it has one of those. Right. That and should so, be the official documentation. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, so yeah, it, it, for somebody who's done Swift, it looks just like the optional unwrap in Swift. You know, it's, it's, if this thing is not null, then grab the next layer down kind of thing. Um, it's really helpful when you are dealing with things like, um, JSON parsing, Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, try and get the class and if I try and get the next, the next object, and then that might have an object. And if it does have an object, then grab the count of items in that object. And then if, and you know, that kind of thing. So, um, and also one of my personal favorites, I use it all the time in .NET development, is string interpolation. So, it's a cleaner way to concatenate strings together if you have, um, uh, you're trying to take a string and add in a number and then add more string and then a, another variable string value and then another string that like close quote space plus space value space plus space open quote mm-hmm. construct goes away. Yeah. Good. Um, and it's dramatically easier. Basically it uses the curly braces. So it's like my name is open curly brace name underscore first close curly brace close quote. Because currently in Unity, every time I do anything with a string and any other object, I have like FileMaker flashbacks as I'm typing all that out. It, it can get a little painful. Um, the only trick is that um, for C sharp, when you're going to ha- when you have a string that's going to use string interpolation, you have to put a dollar sign at the beginning before the first quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes um, sense. So, like Swift does it with a uh, backslash. Basically, it like escapes the sh- the variable that you're putting inside the middle of the string. This one has less inside the string, but then you have to add a character at the beginning to set the whole thing off. Um, so, and then exception filters. So it's try catch stuff. Mm-hmm. 
again, very big when you're dealing with web services and things like that. If you got a response, check stuff out. Make sure what kind of response did you get? Was it an error response? That kind of stuff. There's some they already had them, but there's edit, added conditionals you can do to say only use this particular special case when these other things are also true. So, um, <clears throat> this is relatively small stuff in the overall scheme of things. Like, I'm really going to like having string interpolation. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like, Unity has other equivalents for a lot of these things. And you kind of get around it. The important thing here, as far as I'm concerned, is seeing that Unity is making a commitment not only to get up to date with the latest version of the language that they support, but that they're uh, committing to keeping it up to date. Mm -hmm. Because I know from my own code, once you get two or three versions back, there's a lot of headwind for catching up. Like you can seriously want to just like, well, you know, it's going to take so much work to make that gap. And then five years later, C sharp is six versions ahead and you're never going to catch up. Yeah. So making the commitment to do it, I think, is great. Um, so, yeah. It just means that they're putting a lot of effort into that engine. I think while they're doing that, some of that stuff may end up keying into, like we were talking about last week with the incremental compiler and things like that. There's a lot of tech that they can lean on. Like the... Newer language stuff mean also probably means that you can start tapping into newer features that people are basing off of the language features. Mm-hmm. Um, though that connection is a little bit more hazy because without actually digging into the Unity source code, I'm not exactly sure where all the connections are between the script engine and everything else. But... Um, so, so something I watched last week was one of the Unity GDC talks, I think it was called Evolving the Platform, something like that. But their chief technical officer did a deep dive into kind of the roadmap, long-term roadmap for what they're doing to Unity and really what performance by default means. And both like from a, a scripting side and from a programming side, and they just they have so much in store, like... I, just watching this, I'm like, I'm just sitting there, like, tallying up like points. I'm like, yep, I'm glad I, I'm glad I'm using this platform. Like, there were just so many things. I'm like, this is awesome. Um, but some of those, a lot of this relies heavily on moving the C sharp base forward, and then the new jobs system and entity component systems that are coming out, hopefully this year. Um. Like some of the examples that he had, they were getting on the order of like an 800 times performance improvement for certain <laughs> actions. I, I really like the sound of that. Yeah, it's pretty insane. And then also like they're they're kind of in Unity now, you've got the, the runtime code you're writing and the editor stuff. And like you use the same types of APIs to do editor features, but you can't actually use those in a game. So I can't really add like 3D modeling or mesh uh, transforms or mesh like deformations and stuff in game. But he was like, but why not? Why can't we just make all that, you know, stuff that you can use on your discretion? So we're going to like, so basically you can make a product that can still use Unity's development features in a runtime. 
like an shipped product at some point, not for a while, like this will probably be a while, but you know, like I could see in a couple of years, like the audio mixer that I've been working with, like, you know, what if people want to remix their own soundtracks or adjust the, the ducking on their sound effects and the bowling, like, let's just give them the option to do that themselves. So okay. Think, that sounds awesome. Yeah. I think unity becomes a much more useful development environment for commercial products at that point too. When I can, when I'm building a non-game something, something where people can really set up, you know, we're doing this type of project and we need to do 50 of those. Let me create the project template for that. Um, just like we do with, with uh, FileMaker. Like they don't need to know everything about FileMaker to use these core set of features that I can expose through security mm-hmm. and menuing. So being able to do that in the future sounds pretty great. But yeah, I'll, I'll post a link to that video. It was pretty good. I don't suppose anywhere in any of that video stuff they were talking about adding a, a cool set of business application GUI features, were they? Not yet. No. Nothing nothing mentioned, but yeah, that would be really nice. Yeah, I I can understand why that's not their first priority. But... Yeah. So I'll post a link to that. It was a good talk. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch the talk on entity component systems yet. But uh, yeah, it just hasn't been on the top of the list of things to do because I can't actually use it. So. There's that. We, we got anything else? You know, I don't think so. Go Go watch my talk. Go watch Unity. Go check out the website. Uh, tweet at Dave to make VR stuff. <laughs> Apply peer pressure. There you go. Because I love peer pressure. Mm-hmm. He always responds well. Yes. To... Yes. Well, that's our show for today. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm VRHermit underscore Joe. If you can, uh, like us or leave a, a review for us in your podcast player of choice and uh, tell your friends. Thanks for listening.